This is the Eco Business Podcast. I'm Robin Hicks. Greenwashing has become a big problem as brands jostle to cash in on rising consumer interest in sustainability. So what can be done about brands that make themselves appear green when their business practices are not? On the 31st of May, Deutsche Bank became the latest big company to get into hot water for greenwashing. Its offices in Frankfurt were raided over allegations that the firm had overstated the green credentials of its investments and its chief executive subsequently resigned. Other big brands like Shell, BP, HSBC and even rock band Coldplay have faced awkward questions about their environmental claims this year. And in Asia, e-commerce giant Lazada and Asia Pulp and Paper have faced similar scrutiny for making exaggerated, embellished or just plain false claims in their communications. The term greenwashing was coined in 1986, so the issue is not new, and companies have always tried to make themselves look better than they actually are in their marketing. But there is a sense that consumers, investors and regulators are now starting to push back against the rising tide of dodgy green claims. Joining the Eco Business Podcast to talk about what to do about greenwashing are two expert communicators, James Lorenz and Janissa Ung. James Lorenz is executive director of Action Speaks Louder, an NGO that holds companies accountable for their climate promises. James has managed comms for NGOs such as Greenpeace and Market Forces that are particularly adept at calling out the greenwash of banks and big polluters. Janissa Ung is senior account director of PR firm Spurwing Communications and the former head of PR and content at conservation group WWF Singapore. Janissa is chair of a newly launched task force to address greenwashing in the communications sector in Asia. Welcome to the podcast, Janissa and James. Thanks, Robin. Great to be here. Thank you so much for having us on. Indeed, it's a timely topic. There's so much greenwashing that seems to swirl around us. Um, these days and both of you in a space in a position to to really analyze what's going on I want to ask James first of all what's your view on the current state of affairs in greenwashing in Asia Pacific I mean just how serious a problem do you feel it is right now I I mean I think it's a it's a really timely uh, moment to have this conversation because it kind of feels to an extent like we've, we've almost reached peak greenwashing you know it feels like it's everywhere but I think, I think to a certain extent, it, it's understandable. And I think it's always worth kind of understanding where we are in terms of, you know, the climate science. And without wanting to go too much into it, I mean, we're, we're at a pretty scary time. I mean, it's, there's so many words said about it that it's almost hard to, for it to cut through. But I think the UN said in a recent speech, we've got a kind of rapidly closing window to live on a habitable planet. And, you know, in Australia, where I live the last three years, it's been extraordinary. You know, first we had the bushfires, then we had uh, one in a thousand year floods then one in a hundred year floods. And I think people are people are scared and I think people really want action. And, and what that means is that, that companies, particularly those, I think companies really want to respond. And I think a lot of companies want to take action because their staff care, because their customers care, because their investors care. And I think some of them are genuinely taking action, but, but a number of others are just sensing the need to take action, basically doing things which are a little more than skin deep. So because there is such a pressure at the moment to take action, we are seeing a huge amount of greenwash. Indeed. And, and Jan, how do you see it? I mean, you sit in Singapore um, and you work with clients for Spurwing that, that have got operations all over the region. You also, 
um, chair of a sustainability group for the um, PR industry association body. Um, how do you see the problem and how serious it has become? Well, I'll start with the fact that we all know sustainability is difficult. It's not just something that you talk about. Um, you know, you have to somehow get internal buy-in, change our business operations, and then now we have to talk about supply chains. And, and actually, the other thing about businesses in APEC, or a lot of the, the businesses that I have the chance to work with or I consult with is, you know, they, they, they kind of take the global sustainability targets that are set sometimes in the West and, you know, in, in Europe and, you know, global sets these ambitions. And then if you look at what's happening on the ground in different markets in Asia Pacific, sometimes as a business, it's really hard to see how to, to change all that really quickly to match all that, you know, international or investor scrutiny into what a business is doing. Um, but the reality for a lot of businesses in Asia is that yeah, they have to get their act together, but can they move fast enough? So I think it's this gap between how fast can businesses, especially those in Asia, uh, where, where sustainability has to become a reality on the ground, how fast can they move? And, you know, if you look at the international scrutiny, like James, you talked about peak greenwashing, there's also peak scrutiny. So I think there's this gap where, you know, companies know that they have to be accountable. And yet there's only so much they can say or they feel the pressure to say a lot more. And I think that's where a lot of the, you know, the accusations or the you know, instances of greenwashing um, comes up from. Yeah, indeed. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, any examples of blatant greenwashing that jump out at you, um, James? I think, I think worryingly, um, to an extent, greenwashing has happened quite across the board. There was a really interesting report from a new climate institute, which is um, a group based out of Germany that looked at the world's um, top 25 companies um, by value. So it was kind of companies across the board. And we're talking about companies that when you add up their, their total emissions, like Google and, and, and um, Hitachi in Japan, adds up to 5% of global emissions. So it's huge. And they found that the difference between the company's headline pledges and the actual reality was kind of 80% different, which is huge. I mean, we're talking about the kind of emissions differential there that can kind of make a difference between whether we succeed or fail in terms of in terms of dealing with climate change. But when you look at Asia, there are a number of really kind of almost stunning examples that, that stand out um, from a range of different areas. One of the ones that we've been working on over the past few weeks is Hyundai. Um, who two weeks after promising that they were going to go 100% renewables announced that they were going to power one of their biggest manufacturing plants with, with gas, with fossil gas. And then Canon's another one, another startling example of a company that's really focused on sustainability, on nature, on wildlife, that has a think tank called the Canon Institute, which is propagating climate denial. So... You know, there, there are almost so many examples that it's, uh, it's hard to keep track at the moment. Yeah, and examples that sort of jump out at me, because I think this is the first time that we EcoBusiness started writing about it. In fact, it's a campaign that came from market forces that you were involved in, James, is Singapore's banks. Now, I don't want to pick on them too much because they, you know, each of them, DBS, OCBC and UOB, have made strides to um, divest from coal, and cleanse their lending portfolio, but they do spend an awful amount of money on marketing how green they are. 
you know, I'm going to talk about not the biggest, but the most common, you know, from somebody in a PR agency that covers mm. Asia Pacific, the most common culprits, I think, are ourselves, you know, executives in PR, marketing, uh, professionals that are creating ads, press releases, writing media pitches about a next new sustainable product. I do think that we have a huge part in kind of perpetuating the, the confusion uh, and, and misinformation around like what's sustainable and what's not. Just some examples that I have personally encountered would be, you know, uh, eco-friendly tote bags or, you know, brands saying that they are doing something, you know, to save the planet. I don't know how many times I've edited that out of uh, materials or, or, or for example, you know, like just something being sustainable just because it's recyclable. So it, I think it's all these really um, small but really common, um, you know, phrases that are used interchangeably on a daily basis that's really creating like uh, or snowballing into a larger problem uh, that the PR industry uh, needs to also address. That's really interesting because it's so hard for, you know, everyday people with their busy lives to be able to discern what's real and what isn't. I mean, particularly as some of the companies are getting so sophisticated doing the, the kind of the one big thing and the major announcement that makes them look good, you know, you know, the plastics companies that have this big recycling plant that they've opened in one place that, you know, shuts down after six months, but they get a lot of media coverage about it. And it's just so it's so challenging for people to kind of discern what's real and what isn't. But I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to get Janice's view on this. I, I get the sense that people are getting a bit wiser to it. You know, the, the sense that kind of McDonald's can get away with sort of changing a few plastic straws. I think people are getting more sophisticated in their understanding of what greenwash is. So companies aren't able to get away with it maybe quite as much. And I think companies also see it actually in the last, I think more recently in the last few months when, when I'm having conversations with, you know, clients, um, yeah, here, I'm hearing more of not just like, oh, I have this new sustainability thing, put out a press release about it, but, you know, should we be talking about it? Are we prepared? You know, what if people ask us what we are really doing? Can we back it up? So, you know, on the back end, I actually see this skepticism, you know, that just among consumers translate to PR professionals thinking twice um, then the next time they, they want to communicate about uh, sustainability. So I think like we're seeing a little bit of like a, you know, little push in the, uh, the right direction, I think. The reality is there are some companies that PR agencies should not be working with. And I, I think that when you're talking about fossil fuel companies that are not transitioning, I think it's really hard to justify supporting them. I think it's really hard for banks to finance them. I think it's really hard for insurers to insure them because ultimately there are some companies which are just not going to transition. And and I think the greenwash thing is a really important element, but I think it's a really powerful thing for some of the big PR companies to say enough is enough. You know, there are companies we're not going to be working with. And that's something that really sends a strong message. That movement of uh, agencies, advertising agencies or PR firms backing away from clients and saying, no, we're not going to work with you because you're a, a fossil fuels major seems to be gathering a bit of steam um, in Australia and the US, at least, and, and parts of Europe. Um, but yeah, I yet to hear of anything um, in Asia like that happening and also yet to hear of any of the big communications companies like, say, in Ogilvy or WPP say, no, no, we're not going to work with BP anymore. Um, I just wonder whether you think, your question, Jan, that you think it's realistic for big PR agencies or communications firms to say, no, no, we're not going to 
um, work for a, a, an Exxon because we know of the damage that they do uh, to the climate. I think we see this happening in other markets. So I wouldn't write that off um, being eventually happening in Asia. But I do think that the pressure needs to come from somewhere because, you know, we are businesses. I work for a small agency and I know that every client, you know, is going to feed people in the agency. So ultimately it's a business decision. But I think for if you, you like, just like any other industry, if the PR industry is going to step up and actually make a, a serious commitment like, like that, um, it, the, the, the cost, I guess, that they face of not working for certain clients, it needs to be higher. And, and I'm wondering where that would come from today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you, know, if you are a PR agency, which is, which is selling itself to clients as being a sustainable PR agency, then, and then there's definitely a kind of major discrepancy if you're then you know, working for, for clients which are a pure play coal company. Yeah, absolutely. And actually you see a, a trend, I think, of a lot of PR agencies setting up, you know, sustainability practices or, or bringing sustainability people on board. And most of the times, I, I and even that's something that I aspire to do uh, at Sporing Communications, but I actually wonder what does that actually mean? Um, I think there needs to be a lot more nuance in how, what we're selling as agencies um, and and are we doing it responsibly? And actually, if you set up a sustainability practice, um, you better walk the talk, just like any other company out there. That's exactly uh, right. Absolutely, yeah. It just, I mean, if you're being cynical about it, you say, well, it's, a, it's another revenue stream, isn't it, for an agency to, um, to get clients that uh, have uh, sustainability stories to tell. Um, but so, you yeah. wouldn't be cynical about the PR industry, though, would you, Robin? <laughs> no, heaven forbid. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it is. We have seen a number, not just Boeing, but others, uh, Red Hill, and, and other um, agencies across the region setting up um, ESG arms or, or sustainability arms. But again, that could be seen as, a, as another sort of form of greenwashing if it isn't done well. Actually, a, um, a challenge that a lot of PR professionals face. I think, especially in house. Uh, a great question that was brought up was, you know, should sustainability, like should roles in sustainability and communications be interchangeable? You know, are they even supposed to be friends? Because if you are doing sustainability really, if you want to do it right, there's really no need to, to talk about it. And, and yeah, I also struggle with the thought of, you know, can a sustainability practice in a PR agency be profitable if per se, uh, when half of the job of a PR professional um, is to, actually say no to brands that might want to say something, but, you know, they might not be right for that. Yeah. And I always wonder also what's interesting, I think, is, is ways to spot it. Any um, telltale signs of greenwash? Mine is, well, one I, th I think is quite interesting is looking at where the uh, sustainability team sits within a corporate structure if it's part of the communications or marketing team that's a bit of a red flag because then it sort of implies that there is messaging around sustainability and that's its function is to tell stories rather than actually do stuff um, I just wondered whether guys if there's a way you could suggest to our listeners to spot greenwash I, I think the best way is to see how the claims are substantiated. And if you're a PR professional listening to this, it needs to be, you know, you make a claim, make a statement about your client, but it needs to be backed up by, uh, by what's actually happening on the ground. 
it's really hard. I, I think people I think people are getting smarter at it, Robin. I think people kind of know when they're being sold a pup by companies. But ultimately it is difficult. And and there is a lot of complexity and brands are getting very sophisticated at, at hiding their greenwash. You know, ultimately you need to, you know, when a company makes an announcement, you essentially need to look at how much money it's spending on the announcement. You know, how much money has been spent on, on what they're doing. You know, when you, when you look at some of the big oil and gas companies, you know, all of their PR now is, is covered in, in, in wind turbines, but they're spending what kind of 1% of, of their, of their um, capex on, on, on clean energy. But that's not an easy thing to pick up, you know, and I, I think that that's a really challenging thing for people. Um, it's actually actually where the, the environmental footprint is and whether the announcement corresponds to the footprint of the business. You know, you can be, for example, there's this report about, you know, protein, if you are, you are a restaurant or food company that deals in food supply chains, you know, what, yes, you can re report on waste, but the bulk of the, the environmental footprint of your business comes from your food supply chains. Yeah. Um, so, you know, is the announce, does the announcement relate to the core business of the company? I think that's uh, a clear way to look at it. You know, fossil fuel company sponsoring a scholarship or an educational event, I think that's one clear Right. And it, it's hard, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, plastics and there's another one, which is just so frustrating. I mean, just the, the, the scale of what the kind of, you know, the, the, the Unilevers and, and the Nestle's of this world do. I mean, so much of so much of the plastics they produce is kind of virgin plastic and so little of it is actually dealt with. But I think I, I do think people are I do think people are getting a little bit wiser to it. But you know, the, the problem is, I think everyone wants a, a, a silver bullet, you know, they want a, you know, a, a simple answer, and it, there isn't a simple answer to this. I mean, you know, ultimately, the simple answer as a consumer is, is, is not one that a lot of people want to hear, which is, you know, if you buy fast fashion, the chances are that it's, it, you know, it's going to be bad for the environment. You know, if you buy water bottles, you know, the chances are it's going to be bad for the environment. So it's, you know, sometimes it's saying to people kind of buy less of, you know, buy the things you love. And I know that sounds like a kind of like old mannish kind of conservative thing to say, but it, I think it's really, you know, it, it's really important. And I, and, I, and I, when I was preparing for this this morning, I was thinking, you know, what to say to people, because so many, you know, so many people care about the environment and so many people care about the climate. And I think it can be disempowering but I just think that, that people don't realize their power, particularly in a workplace, because, you know, companies are desperate to employ the best people. And I think, you know, raising your voice in a workplace is just a really strong thing to do, because ultimately, you know, companies are made up of people and, and they care what the staff think, generally speaking. And I think it's such a powerful way to affect change. For me, it's one of the frustrating things that companies blame consumers. I mean, one of the biggest examples of greenwash was a couple of years ago where, you know, Shell was putting out tweets saying, what are you going to do to save the environment? I mean, you're talking about a company with yeah. like, you know, what, 2% of global emissions or something like that. Yeah, I want to go back to you, Jan, as well, and, and the task force that you're you're leading at the PRCA, 
which is to address greenwashing in the public relations industry. You know, I've given it, I mean, personally, I've given PR agencies a bit of a kicking over the years. And by the way, you know, uh, eco business or other publications like ours, um, we're not immune to greenwashing either. We do branded content and some of that you could well point a finger out and say, well, that's that's greenwashing. You're telling the story of a, say, a big polluter. Isn't that greenwash? But going back to PR, um, what are the sort of things that the PR uh, industry can do to help brands avoid greenwashing, Jan? I think firstly, understanding what sustainability claims really are. I, even for people in you know, the industry, we know how complex sustainability standards or claims can be. Even NGOs don't entirely agree all the time. So I think, it, but PR people that, you know, the moment you get a brief from clients, do this, you know, rather than just going ahead to write. I think what we hope to do through the PRCA Sustainability Group is to equip, you know, professionals with at least a, a little bit of the context of what goes into sustainability standards. When do you say something is sustainable? You can't just use it on everything um, and also there's a, a real opportunity for communicators to frame you know what businesses are doing as part of the wider solution because ultimately we're not just here to to call out greenwashing or or you know to to make one brand look good but ultimately it's about highlighting the solutions that really work and facilitating conversations that are necessary either between consumers and businesses or businesses and their investors or even governments. And I think this is really essential if you're going to be bridging this gap about you know, what businesses need to be doing. Uh, and as a start, PR people need to, you know, not just need to be more informed, I guess, about what we can do. And finally, I think that's one, you know, how, how do we address things like, you know, by doing this thing, this brand is saving the earth. How can we have can we create a bit more awareness or nuance into how we are talking about uh, the reason why we need sustainability? It's not just for environmental for, uh, issues for the sake of it, but also understanding the social impact, you know, the link to workers' rights. Um, that's what sustainability really is when you're talking about business you know, operating in a responsible way. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a question for both of you, actually. I mean, you, you first, Janice. Do you think the level of greenwashing that we're seeing at the moment is affecting how much faith people, consumers, have in brand communications as a whole? There was a WWF and Accenture survey last year which found that a third of consumers don't really trust what brands are saying. Maybe, but if I can be honest, Robin, if I were a consumer in a supermarket making a split-second decision, I will not be making a perfect choice because in reality, I'm going to be thinking about sustainability, but also a ton of other factors like health or, or cost effectiveness. So yeah, whether consumers trust brands, I think sometimes to a certain extent, we just look at what's on the packaging and we try to, you know, we take it as a given because that's what we can do, you know, for example, in a supermarket. I think the responsibility needs to lie with the brands to make sure that whatever they're putting out, they are you know, they are responsible from a business operations perspective. And for the person maybe writing the copy, you know, um, or counselling the brand to understand what certain claims really mean. I think that's where, that's part of the process where the PR industry, I think we can um, take more responsibility for. Yeah, okay. And over to you, James. Now, um, as we've mentioned before, you're, in your job, you've uh, spent a lot of time highlighting and sometimes exposing greenwash among big corporates. You mentioned Hay and I just then, there have been numerous others. Um, do you think that highlighting greenwash um, is an effective way to stop it? My sense is that people and companies tend to behave better when they're being watched. 
And I, you know, I, I don't think that's a particularly happy thing to say, but I think it's the reality. And, and it is complex, as Janissa says, but I think the fact that there are organizations and people um, and regulators out there who are bringing a degree of accountability to, to business claims, I think is absolutely critical um, to driving positive change. So yeah, I, I do think calling it out is effective because you know, ultimately a lot of people in most companies want to do the right thing. And it, it, it's, it's dangerous reputationally for a company to be saying things which aren't right or which are, are misleading because in terms of hiring people, bringing in staff, staff want to work for an organization they care about. Customers don't want to buy from, from a company that, that, that you know, has just been revealed that is destroying the planet. And, and it's the same for investors. Increasingly, investors are focused on this too. Um, and as well as regulators, which I think are increasingly cracking down on, on companies that are saying things which just aren't right. I want to ask you, Jan, actually, and perhaps James, if you want to chip in about the role of the media in calling out Greenwash. Do you think the media has done a good enough job of calling out Greenwash? Even in Singapore, even if the media doesn't do it, I see plenty of, you know, uh, people online on social media. You are getting a lot more, you know, groups, student groups uh, in particular that are calling out greenwashing no matter what. And so, you know, for brands that might be putting out claims in Singapore, it's not like they don't have the, the checks or the scrutiny. Um, I think they are also hearing the, the voices on social media in equal measure. What do you think, James? I think, I, I mean, partly to, to relate to one of Janice's points earlier, calling out greenwashing and understanding complex announcements from big companies is hard. And, and what you're seeing from some of the bigger companies is that they, that they intentionally hide the reality behind complex announcements that they're making. And it isn't easy. I mean, when you look at emissions, you've got scope one, you've got scope two, you've got scope three, you've got different types of renewable energy, you've got offsets. It, it, it is hard for a journalist, particularly a busy journalist, to get their head around, you know, a rash of announcements coming out in, in huge papers. But that said, I, I do think it's contingent on media to be more critical when these announcements are coming out. I think, you know, the days of critically, uncritically reporting when, when one particular company announces a net zero policy, which is meaningless, I think those days need to be over. And there needs to be much more of a kind of in-depth questioning of actually, when you see a policy, what does it mean? And I, and I, and I take net zero as an example because so many companies are getting away with plaudits for announcing a policy with no targets, you know, which, which effectively is meaningless. And I think it's really important that journalists are able to kind of to, to hold their feet to the flame because it's critical. I want to get on to how we can hold brands responsible for greenwashing. Um, we've seen a few cases, mainly in Europe, of um, regulators flexing their muscle against we've seen uh, Deutsche Bank uh, most recently their CEO quit um, after um, their offices were raided over allegations of um, massaging uh, sustainable finance uh, claims so yeah how, how what's the best way to hold brands accountable uh, Janissa? I think what's happening in Europe um, in terms of regulations maybe or, or targets 
that's definitely closely watched by Asia. Um, unfortunately, in Asia, it does have to come from, I still believe that it needs to be regulations, it needs to be investors um, that are guiding what's happening in the businesses. That's where, that's where the biggest influence comes from. Um, yeah, so actually, if I, have, I, I would put my money or where the money comes from for businesses, then that's, it needs to be investors and then regulators. Yeah. And indeed, your, your group, your task force for uh, PRCA, right? I mean, that voluntary, uh, voluntary moves like that is a way to stave off regulation, isn't it? It's a way to keep regulators from, from moving in on the communications industry and saying, look, listen, guys, you've got to do a better job of uh, policing greenwash y- yourselves. So, I mean, I think one of the kind of the meanest tricks you see from a lot of big companies is blaming the consumer saying, you know, this is your fault, you need to be more, you know, you're, you know, you're going to be the one that makes a difference. And I think like, ultimately consumers, people like us, we, we, we can be discerning in our purchases. You know, we can hold brands accountable, it's doable, but it's hard, you know, people have busy lives. And I think ultimately it, it has to be down to regulators and it has to be down to the investors to do it. And they're not there at the moment, but it is changing. Um, and so it should. I think there was there was a recent thing. I think probably last week from the from the Singapore Monetary Authority, um, their deputy director um, Tan Keng Heng said asset managers need to walk the talk, and they are developing ESG standards. You know, you see the same in the US. You see the same from the US Securities and Exchange Commission. You see the same from the Australian Securities and Exchange Commission. It is happening. The walls are closing in on companies that that are getting that are trying to get away with greenwash, and rightly so. It's not there yet, but it is definitely happening. Um, let's have a think about what the future may look like. Um, we did a story not too long ago that you know asked if will the future be you know public health warnings on. Uh, fossil fuels ad- ad- advertising like we've seen for tobacco. Um, is that the way we're going to go with communications? I think firstly, as an industry, we want PR professionals across Asia to be equipped with the knowledge uh, and the skills to talk about or to broach issues about sustainability in an informed way. And this means having the influence and ideally in an ideal world, PR has the power to shape, influence and inspire when done right. So ideal, our end goal and our ambition is, can we not just be informed and you know, do what we do really well, but use you know, our influence to, to shape great brands that are accountable to what they're saying, to be part of a productive and necessary conversation, um, to reach even senior level management um, in companies and in brands, uh, to shape what they are saying around you know, their, for example, environmental responsibility. So that's the end goal that we do envision PR in an ideal having the ability to do. Um, in a, on a more practical level for the working group, what, how we are tackling this is firstly, we need the industry on board. You know, this is why this is volunteer-led. This is regional. We want to bring as many people together, whether it's through events or initiatives, um, to first connect people in PR to maybe experts or NGOs that can help with knowledge building. And perhaps even setting standards for how we are communicating or for certain phrases that we are using or guiding principles for how we will act in general um, to ensure that we are upholding a certain standard for for sustainability communications. So you mentioned language there. Um, A favorite phrase of mine is sustainability is in our DNA. 
which if I had a I've had a dollar for every time I've read that in a press release, um, yeah, I wouldn't need to work anymore. But but James, looking at the future, and given the the trends that we've observed going on right now, how do you see the the future of comms evolving um, related to to greenwash and sustainability? How I feel about this kind of depends on on the day, um, but I, I think we all just need to consider that the next 10 years are absolutely critical. And, and, and when I hear this, sometimes I think it, you know, or maybe it's being over-dramatized, but actually when you look at the science, we've got 10 years to get our emissions to a level where we have the hope of protecting, you know, our lives, you know, the, the world around us. It's critical that, everybody pulls together to take action on it. I mean, that, that's a reality we're faced with. And that means that, that the regulators need to pull their socks up. You know, they need to put more pressure on companies. And I think sometimes that it's a bit disempowering for kind of the average person looking at kind of the scale of what needs to be done. But I think, you know, to, to everybody listening and to all of us, I think we just need to recognize that companies are made up of people. And that within companies, be they, you know, be us communicators, marketers, whatever you do in a company, you know, your voice can be heard. And I think it's important that, you know, as staff members, we raise our voices as, as activists taking action to kind of hold feet to the flame. We need to keep the pressure up. Um, and in doing so, I hope that there's enough pressure to be able to, to, to deliver the action we need. I think that that's the reality of it. I think that's a really good place to leave it. Thank you both. Um, James Lorenz, Janissa Ung for, for joining the Eco Business Podcast. This podcast was hosted by Eco Business, Asia's leading media company serving the region's sustainability community. Join the conversation by visiting eco-business.com, follow us on social media, or subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening.